Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This party is disgusting. In a week in which a man was slapped in the face by a seal holding an octopus, the Luke and Pete show is needed more than ever. That was a wonderful video. Episode 104, uh, we are back in the habit, back in the hot seats, Mm. and trying to make sense of the world around us for the next half an hour of nonsense and emails from you, hello at lukeandpeteshow.com, and we could go anywhere, so strap yourself in. Um, put your seatbelt on. I'll say we could go anywhere. We're probably going to be talking about Pete's dad yeah. uh, and um, one or two other bits and pieces. How are you? I'm Luke Moore. That's Pete Dawson. How are you, Peter? Apologies for making disgusting noises. Uh, Luke said, put all the porridge you can in your mouth, and I did. Uh, but it's special porridge, which is like fucking glue. Fuel <laughs> porridge. has got extra uh, protein. You were like Mike Parry doing this in the Man Challenge. Right. Though. <laughs> it was disgusting. I mean, it's it tastes nice because it's got um, golden syrup in there, but just the, the actual mouthfeel, it's so heavy. So Pete, 70 grams of protein. Um, I'm going to make something. an editorial decision and so say that listeners aren't that interested in that. But what um, they will be interested in is um, your take on a man in a kayak being slapped in the face by a seal holding an octopus. If you would just give us your take on that, but start off by describing for people who haven't seen it what takes place. Was it not a canoe? A kayak. It's a kayak, really. A okay. canoe's a canoe's an open-topped boat. It's, it's a popular misconception. Oh. <laughs> Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, Not that popular. Um, And yes, uh, basically a man is in his kayak and he's on the open sea and he's, you know, going along. And suddenly a seal leaps out of the water. He's got a fucking octopus in his mouth and he throws it at the man's face. Yeah. Sucker punched, if you will. I mean, there must be a pretty niche list of people who've been hit in the face by animals carrying other animals. Oh, it's it's up there with me in Kenya with the, hearing, with the tea tray that, with the tea tray hitting a hippo in the nose. Uh, I, I've never seen that, and I will never see that again. I something that as a unique situation. Yeah. Um, imagine coming into your hotel room toilet and seeing a, a, a metal grabber grabbing your shower curtain well, and, not... and stealing it and taking it to the watery depths of your toilet. We're not doing that again. That's. And a surprising event, you'd probably say. Imagine if the guy who, from we spoke to earlier in the week, did the experiment, <laughs> and as he was pulling the grabber back out the toilet, there was a seal in it with an octopus, and yeah. it just hit him in the face. That would be perfect, Luke Moore yeah, and Pete Donaldson. Fair, fair. It would. So yeah, it was. It was a, probably my fate. Well, there was a story of a whale swimming up the Thames, mm. wasn't there last week? Mm. And I thought that's going to be the best animal-related story I'm going to see this week. Mm. 
no. Nope. Good... I'm trying to think what, what we shared on the WhatsApp group. I shared a picture of uh, a hotel in Macau. Oh, yes, that was um, very interesting. Uh, I think it won some kind of competition, possibly photographed the, uh, on National Geographic, but it's just basically slightly run down, kind of built up <clears throat> kind of terrace uh, in Macau. And then on the end, I don't know what it's the grading, it just makes it look like something out of a video game or, um, I don't know, uh, something out of Judge Dredd or something. This massive um, skyscraper kind of casino thing, and it's, it's actually quite an otherworldly-looking sort of um, casino building. Um, it's something else. It really is. What's stunning. the deal with Macau? Is it like a dependency of China? Yeah, I mean, it's very political. Ask ask them. They're very much Macau's where um, everyone goes to gamble. Yeah, it's the gambling center yeah. of the universe. I know that. But mm. what do do the Chinese sort of turn a blind eye or whatever and say, "Well, that's okay. That can all happen over there. We don't care." Type yeah, thing. the Chinese can go over there to gamble. I'm fairly certain you can't gamble officially in China. I, I might be wrong on that one. Right. Used to be a Portuguese um, <coughs> settlement, didn't it? Yeah. They still speak Portuguese there sometimes, apparently. Yes. I was very surprised to read that. Mm. There we go. It um, looks amazing. Check it out if you can. It's beautiful. Yeah, I'll start, Pete, something that you might be interested in. Oh. Um, I started reading a book um, of the story of Jack Johnson, not the folk singer. The first heavyweight champion of the world. Obviously, the first black man to occupy the heavyweight championship as well in uh, around 1909, turn of the century, early 20th century. It's called uh, Unforgivable Blackness, The Rise and Fall of Jack Johnson, written by Jeffrey Ward. If you have any interest at all in not just prize fighting, not just Mm. heavyweight boxing, not just sport, but um, the social economic conditions of the United States in that period of time, it is a remarkable, remarkable read. Mm. I mean, the, the stuff that Jack Johnson went through while at the same time actually exhibiting quite a lot of appalling behaviour himself, mm. um, makes for a fascinating tale. I mean, the guy was probably the most famous man in the United States at the early in the early 20th century. Mm. Um, of course, because of the racial divide and because of all the racism that existed in the US at that time, he um, found it very hard to find white fighters to even fight him. Mm. Um, managed to get, get the heavyweight championship uh, through one way or another and then had a massive famous fight with a guy called Jim Jeffries who had retired six years previous, who was the, he, who was the, he, he was a white guy and who was the heavyweight champion of the world, undisputed, and then retired. Yeah. But for, for five or so years, he wouldn't come out of retirement and fight Jack Johnson. Mm. Now, a lot of people said, it's because um, he would he would be beaten, yeah. but he would say that I'm not I'm not facing a black man. I'm not I'm not legitimizing the black race essentially. Right. Um, and um, the story, really, the first half of the story is about Jack Johnson's upbringing, his quest to actually fight Jim Jeffries. And I, I won't give it away for people who don't know the story, but they do eventually have a fight. Um, and then the second half of the book is is when Jack Johnson goes from the absolute summit, like the apex of his career and his fame and his wealth, and essentially drops off. A cliff down to 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 back, essentially back where he started, mm. but but um, it is an incredible story. I mean, if you have, like I say, if you have any interest at all in in the history of the United States or the history of of, of, of boxing, uh, I would recommend it very very highly. It's called Unforgivable Blackness, and it's by Jeffrey Ward, and that's what's been floating my boat these last week or two. What are the, how did the purses work? Obviously, you know, um, uh, black people around the turn of the century probably didn't make any sort of cash um, for well, obvious reasons. But like, uh, presumably, if you're going up against someone who is white. They want to win a purse. They want to win a fight purse. So, yeah. like, th- I presume the money would be the same. So, well, it would be one of the few, the few situations where a black sportsman would have a um, a, a similar um, pay, you know, a potential paying potential, effectively. Well, so so what you're dealing with in many in, in some ways it works the same way as it works now, mm. but in in many ways it's different because back in um, at that time, boxing was 
you've got to remember in the US, as it is now to an extent, but as it was a lot more then, it's a lot to do with state law and, and what mm. certain states want to do. You're talking mm. about um, not quite the Wild West, but they fought, this big fight that Jack Johnson had against Jim Jeffries was fought in Reno in Nevada. Yeah. Um, it was going to be originally be fought in California, but it was moved. Um, and so the state in, of Nevada sanctioned it because the state of California wouldn't. By the way, this fight that they had was so big that one of the people on the shortlist to referee it was the President of the United States, <laughs> William Taft, who was the current President of the United States. The second choice for the referee was Arthur Conan Doyle, who obviously wrote Sherlock Holmes, right? In, in, in the end, they couldn't find a referee they were happy enough that wouldn't be biased because right. at that point, it's only just after the bare knuckle era. Mm. Only maybe, I don't know, 10 years or so after the bare knuckle era. Mm. So there was a lot of um, organization going on behind the scenes where someone there would take a dive there, mm. someone over there would take a dive. He would agree to let that guy win that fight there so he mm. could go on and fight someone else. And people were being paid off left, right, and center. So to answer your question quickly, um, it was done on an individual basis. Mm. So when when they wanted to put this Jack Johnson Jim Jeffries fight together, and Jim Jeffries was on essentially as, as awful as it sounds in 2018, Jim Jeffries really one of the main reasons he came out of retirement to fight is because he was being held up as this defender of the white race, right? Because people, a lot of people in the in the US at that point couldn't abide the idea that a black man was heavyweight champion of the world. So mm. he felt the pressure of the white race on his shoulders to do it. So he came out of retirement. And he got put on his ass. In, in, the, <laughs> in the end, the referee was um, was was the promoter. So right. Tex Rickard, who promoted the fight, this great um, entrepreneur and, and responsible for lots of different things, yeah, a real like hard-living, um, hard-earning hard guy. <clears throat> he ended up refereeing the fight himself mm. because he couldn't find anyone and he had never been in the boxing ring before. Right. And they built a purpose-built stadium in Reno which held 20,000, 30,000 people. Um, people descended so much on Reno from all over the place that they ran out of food. <laughs> it was, it's crazy. It's a crazy Bloody story. Hell. Yeah, so, so it was negotiated and I think what they would do then, Pete, is it would be stuff like Whereas now it's like purses are split and you get different splits and you negotiate with through your management and stuff. Jack Johnson wasn't a guy who really um, listened to his manager very often. But I think I'm right in saying what they did for that particular fight was they said the purse that's been put up is this amount of money. Mm. The winner gets 75% and the loser gets 25%. Right. But of course, back in those days, particularly Jack Johnson, he's side betting all over the place on himself yeah. with different bookmakers right. and gambling companies to say, look, I want $10,000 on myself mm. to, make, to, to boost his earnings yeah. essentially. Um, and then fighters would do that all the time then. But um, of course, if it went wrong, they would be bankrupt, yes. essentially. So, so Jack Johnson went on this amazing roller coaster of being one of the wealthiest men in the United States, mm. uh, certainly the wealthiest sportsman ever, down to essentially destitute, living back with his mother in, in Galveston, Texas. So mm. it's, it's an amazing story. Mm. That does sound good. I wasn't planning on talking about it for that long, well, so sorry you know, about that. No, I think that's fascinating. And I think uh, that's our book of the week. Yes, Book of the by Jeffrey Thursday. Ward, Unforgivable Blackness. Do check it out. Um, the guy who put me onto that was Danny Kelly, who of course do some radio shows with sometimes. I see, and he is a very good uh, arbiter of, of, of a good read, mm. and he recommended it to me, to me, and it didn't let me down. Lovely old job. Right um, after all that no nonsense, should no. we um should we talk about emails? Yeah, I think so. Should we take a short break first? Yeah. All right then. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry. And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. 
You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. So, the first step is to find the right position for you. Put your hands down and lower your chest to the ground. Just do that and pretend that you're holding poop in. And it should sound a lot like this. <laughs> Chris, Chris Bandy in the background there eating his first crisp. Eating uh... <laughs> No, someone eating a, a kidney. That was little Zan eating his first <laughs> cheetah. His, his extra hot cheetah. <laughs> um, we were talking a little bit um, uh, last week about things that should go in room 101 and room 102. Because <laughs> we are out of ideas. We're bereft. Um, we talk about gripes, pretty much. Uh, Nicholas Tostidis, or uh, Totsidis, rather. Uh, Hi, boys. My gripe is when I go to someone's house and it's freezing inside, and when I tell them it's cold and to put the heater on, they tell me to put a jacket on instead. No, I shouldn't have to wear a jacket or a blanket to stay warm inside. The point of a house is to shield us from the elements and keep us comfortable. And if it's because you're a tight ass, I'll leave some change for the bill. Nick, do you ever go... That's to- not you without <laughs> money for the bill. But, like, no, putting going to someone's house and going... Put the fucking heating on. No. I don't think like, anyone's ever done that. You know, like the other day when they had the Room 101 stuff and people would, basically one of the emails was basically a guy doing six points about his own insecurity. Right. This is like, I want to put in Room 101 the fact that I'm not the centre of the universe <laughs> and it's not fair. Come on. That's not acceptable. It's like you not taking your shoes off when you go to someone's house. I despite being a fan that. of Japanese I things. Offer. I offer, but I think it's still cunty behaviour. But Pete, do you think that in Japan where famously you have to take your shoes off all the time? Well, you just well, that's their culture. I don't think taking your shoes off here was ever our culture. In my house, it's my in culture. In my house, it's my culture. Yeah. Um, there was an advert on the tube, speaking of wearing slippers indoors. There was this advert on the tube saying, um, the slipper for people who don't do slippers. Who has that policy? Who doesn't do slippers? I don't do slippers. What does that mean? Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. I just stand on broken glass. I don't do slippers. Do you know how I feel about that? I what? remember the name of the product, but I'm not going to mention it on here because I disagree with their market um, strategy. What's what's a word that rhymes with it? Make up a word that rhymes with it and go and do and do it in this voice. It rhymes with uh, the Harby. The Harby. Yeah. Oh. I still don't know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, um, what about this from James? He says, Ethan Chaps, just wanted to throw in what my dad brought me back home from work once. Oh, this I like a, this theme. This is a popular theme. Uh, he used to work in the steelworks in Sheffield that made the metal for aeronautical companies, right. including NASA. Ooh. Along with space shuttle parts, they also used the metal to create pens uh, that worked in space. 
NASA uh, spent some space, uh, sent some space pens back to Sheffield as a gift, and my dad brought one home to me. Needless to say, seven-year-old me was over the moon, excuse the pun, nah. and I've still got this pen 25-plus uh, years later. I keep up the good work. So a, a, a space biro from NASA, don't I get mean, any better than that, does it? I hate to burst his bubble, his moon bubble, but um, I mean, you can buy space pens everywhere. <laughs> they, were, they, they weren't made by uh, NASA. They were just used by NASA, weren't they? Well, some guy just made it up. Uh, the, the famous, um, I don't know if it's true, but the famous sort of, uh, I suppose, potentially apocryphal tale is that the US spent millions of pounds trying to develop a pen that worked in space because mm. there was no gravity. Mm. And all the time, the Russians were using the pencils. pencils. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's true, but there we go. <laughs> um, so that's from James. Uh, it's still pretty good that your dad's bringing your home stuff from NASA. Oh, massively, yeah. Yeah. Hugely. For, for what? Um, what about this from Sam Baltimore? Um, and he says, hello, boys. Love the show. Uh, I just got done watching Late Night with Seth Meyers uh, mm. and there was a story about an 80-year-old uh, Japanese club DJ in Shinjuku. Mm. She cooks from 4pm in her restaurant and she starts her DJ set between 1.30 and 2.30am and raps about 4am, as in wraps it up, not yeah. raps, um, <laughs> then bikes home. With Pete keeping about the same schedule and loving weird stuff, wanted to know if he ever rocked along with DJ Sumi Rock when he's been in Japan. No, I think I saw that video, though. She's, was it uh, on Vice as well, I think? Probably, yeah. I think Vice picked it up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, people do strange things out there. <laughs> I like the idea of... Uh, I just always think with... Remember those... Um, there's that couple that do, like, super clubs. Um, they're about, like, 80 or something, and they both just go to, like... Right, pounding dance clubs. You would and they sometimes just see that when you were a kid, like, you yeah. would and it'd be quite depressing in a way. I mean, I mean that as a sort of arrogant sort of teenage twenty odd something, you know, because you'd say, "What's an old person doing here?" But of course, if people, that's what they want to do. That's what they should do. I no, but I mean, but they go as a couple, and um, they go to certain clubs, and they always get served a little cup of tea, and they just have a cup of tea while they're pumping. I mean, unless you're drunk or off your head, I mean, dance pumping dance super clubs are not a place to be, really. No. Dreadful place. No, and, and I, I, the last thing I would want at like eleven at night is a cup of tea because the caffeine keep me up. Yeah, I, I, love, I love a peppermint. Peppermint always reminds me of a bad stomach. Pete, famous, famously caffeine free. Famously, uh, I'm not having a normal cup of tea at that time of night. Thank you very you much. Get, you can get a, um, an Earl Grey's decaffeinated. True, actually, yeah. Decaffeinated. Might well have been decaffeinated. Yeah, mm. I've got loads of good emails here, Pete. But I want you to get bash stuck another in. one. Bash another one out. All right, you don't want me to get stuck in. Okay, fine. Uh, what about this one, Peter? For um, Billy. I was going to say Franklin. I was going to come Billy. up with a name there, Franklin. Billy. Billy. Um, guys, the batteries in my TV remote are golden power. Golden solid. Power. We've seen them before, mm. but solid contribution. Solid choice. Uh, I enjoyed listening to the stuff in recent weeks about all the weird and wonderful things that dad do dads do for us all as a kid. What do dads do? <laughs> it often seems fine at the time, but when you look back, it's really a bit odd. Yeah. I'd like to give a mention to all the great things that mums do too to keep you safe. Growing up, I once asked my mum how McDonald's could afford to give a free toy away in Happy Meals as they only cost one ninety nine. <laughs> she told me that McDonald's would go around the streets in a van pick up children who were naughty and out alone and take them back to the factory to make them build toys. Ah. For many years after that, I was petrified to go out into the streets alone, so I guess her work to stop me going out as a kid was done. On the less sinister note, she also used to tell me that blue Smarties had dangerous substances in them and that only adults were allowed to eat them. I therefore always had to give her some of my Smarties, no matter what. I can't be the only person whose mum made up stories like this, and surely there must be other great stories out there. And yes, this is the same woman who had that cup of coffee several years ago with Mrs. Litvinenko. Remember Billy's story about oh, his yes. mum who would talk to everyone? 
Yes. Um, and she ended up having a coffee with the wife of sadly now departed Alexander Litvinenko, mm. who was poisoned in a yo sushi, was it? I believe it might have been a... Certainly a popular chain of eateries. It was I would like say. sushi. It was something like that. Okay, well, there Doesn't we go. Matter. We all know what happened. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, if you've got a story about how your mum's told you lies to keep you safe, ostensibly, but also probably given you some quite bad psychological damage, yeah. hello at lukeandpeteshow.com. I mean, on the McDonald's toy thing, if you, um, you know, if you were a Chinese mum telling that story to uh, a child, that may very well be the case that you would be uh, captured and put in a sweatshop to build <laughs> yeah. a McDonald's toy because yeah. that's literally how they're fucking made. Um, my wife was a McDonald's, McDonald's toy. Happy Meal. She yes, we toy, yeah. got it. So, yeah, yeah, she was made into a cabbage patch doll. Cabbage patch doll. Wonderful. Mm. It's such a wonder. She's got. You, you send me a picture once. Yeah, her and her sister are both were both model had one model on them, and they occasionally message each other on having searched on eBay about <laughs> whose one's worth the most. <laughs> they're both worth about three quid. I'm going to buy them. You should. You should. I'm going to buy them. I'll find out the details of what they're called and I'll get them to you, mate. Mm, lovely. Um, uh, yeah, and it's that classic kind of um, dad lie where it's like the ice cream man only plays that tune because they've run out of ice cream. Yes. To avoid buying ice cream. Yeah, my parents used to tell me that. Yeah. yeah. My mum used to tell me loads of stuff. I can't <laughs> My dad, I remember my granddad telling me that um, uh, he said once that, you know, I, I think I was talking to him about science, my science class at school and how we'd learn about the solar system. Mm. And I said to my granddad, oh, um, you know, did you know that the, the, the sun is, you know, however big it is? Mm. I can't remember. And he said, it's not actually, it's not actually that big. I said, what do you mean? He said, it's not. I said, well, how do you, how do you know? Oh, no, sorry, it wasn't the sun, it was the moon. Right. I said, the moon is like, certainly not, so said, it's not that big. Mm. He said, how do you know? And he said, well, look, come outside and look. And it was nighttime. And um, he said, there's the moon there. Look. And he put his thumb in front of it. So there you go, it's smaller than my thumb. <laughs> <laughs> and as a kid I hadn't fully grasped perception then yeah. I was only about 22 or even just perspective <laughs> <laughs> yeah, perspective I meant yeah and uh, so that, that that probably poisoned my mind in some small yeah. way so in, in my, parents in do my, do it in my family it wasn't what they the lies they told me it's the things they sort of leave out you know, like find out you got a half brother at sixteen. Uh, let's move on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, next email comes from Stephen Boyd. Isn't it Philip Larkin? He had the poem. They fuck you up, your mum and dad. That's quite yeah, famous, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, Stephen Boyd. Hello, all. Just thought I'd drop you an email in response to the episode 100 countdown, particularly the top story, the Christmas story. Uh, this tale of blue language is eerily similar to an incident I was regrettably involved in back in my youth in the year 2005. To picture the scene, uh, me and my six friends had organised a summer trip around Europe. Uh, we had two cars and planned on visiting as many countries as we could. Sounds good, but turns out to be quite shit, as European motorways predate roaming was dull uh, or were dull uh, anyway the incident in question happened on the very first day we'd set off in two cars at the crack of dawn from sunny Huddersfield we were bound for Ipswich to get an overnight ferry to Cookshaven in Germany it was so bloody hot so we all drew straws over which car travelling luckily I got the Land Rover which had aircon uh, turned out the driver was a typical Yorkshire <laughs> tight ass. that's rude uh, and just <laughs> drove with the windows open instead so all I got was windswept hair for four hours and I couldn't hear fuck all um, it was a long journey, but we finally arrived, all a bit tired, desperate for a drink and an opportunity to stretch the legs. Cue my arsehole mate to make a sarky comment at the security check. The recent London bombings had put the country on edge and security were checking everything. My mate decided to respond with a question of, have you been to London recently? With, yeah, I left my backpack on the bus. Uh, security promptly stripped the car down to its nuts and bolts and then let us on our merry way with minutes to spare. To say <laughs> we were fucked off was an understatement. 
chippy friends. Yeah, you shouldn't do that. That's Finally, we made, it, we made it into the queue. It's the same people who just get too fucked up so they can't get in bars because the bouncer will go, well, your mate's too drunk. It's like, well, you've ruined the night then. Yeah. We were meeting our friends in here, you dick. And having been out on a night out with you many a times, Donaldson, can I just say that is a bit rich? That's not me. I can take my alcohol... All right. Um, finally, we made it into the queue for the ferry. Uh, whilst queuing in the burning hot summer sun, a children's entertainer was welcoming folk on board. He waved, we waved. It was all very cordial and nice at this point. But bear in mind, we were all hot, tired, stressed, and in desperate need of a beer. We parked up, unloaded the hastily repacked car, and headed for check-in. All here, uh, and here is uh, where the incident in question occurred. Whilst carrying all of the bags to the packed reception area, the clown approached. At this point, he decided to squirt me in the face with a flower on his costume. Love that. Bad move. I dropped my bags and shouted, You fucking cunt! <laughs> <laughs> Just at the end of his tether. Right in his face. Yeah. <laughs> As the words left my mouth, I realised that the terrible mistake I had made. People gasped, my friends laughed, the clown looked as if he was going to faint, and I'm pretty sure a child started to cry. Fast forward a few hours, a few, be- a few beers were drunk uh, and piss merrily taken. We were happily sat watching some diet evening entertainment. The clown approached from behind, he said hello, and then I turned around. To be fair, he looked about. He looked like he was about to apologise when he saw me, but he bricked it and ran off. <laughs> Serves him right, the fucking cunt. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, I'm now a primary school teacher and come down very hard on foul language in my classroom. Steve, in Bedfordshire. Fantastic. Well done, Steve. Yeah. Well done, Steve. <laughs> um, talking of sort of strange behaviour overseas, <laughs> we should... we should. <laughs> that's a brilliant story. Clown in! We should finish with this one from Ben. He says, Hi, guys. Hope all is well. Fairly new to the show, but I'm going to smash you through the back catalogue. Before I get onto my main tale... I'll smash you your back catalogue, you prick. Rude. Um, here's some quick stats for you. Mm. My batteries are GP Ultras. Classic. I'm a Pompey fan. Not a classic. Uh, I grew... <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in Titchfield, a small village Luke should know. I do know it very well. Uh, it's just down the road from Stomington Study Centre. Uh, full of uh, gypsies. Anyway, I used to play I think in a punk band. members of the travelling community nowadays. Sorry. I, I used to play in a punk ska band called Three Day Bender. And it's good to hear about Pete's experiences <laughs> in the scene uh, mm. back in the day. We probably play with a lot of the same bands, but it's a shame we never got to play with the legendary One-Eyed Willie. Well, we only did six gigs, so I mean, <laughs> you'd be you? lucky or unlucky, really. Where, 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 where's the furthest away from Leicester you tra- you travelled? Oh, good point. I think we just played in Leicester. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so listen, Ben, if you played in Leicester, you might have done. Mm. Um, what years? Uh, 2002. Okay. Um, also, um, oh, sorry, anyway, onto the main reason for my email. I'm harking back to quite early on in your run when Luke told the tale of getting locked out of his house. I have a story that hopefully you will find worthy of a mention. Uh, Turn the clock back to 2006. During my third year at uni, I started dating a girl. Well done, Ben. I wasn't aware when I first met her that she was in fact the daughter of a prominent cabinet MP. Don't get excited. The MP is never mentioned. After a few months of dating, we agreed the time was right to go on holiday together. Brackets, it wasn't. Being at uni and money being tight, we headed to Italy with the girlfriend's parents. Although going on holiday with your girlfriend's parents was never ideal for a romantic getaway, no. I couldn't turn down the opportunity to holiday with a member of parliament and mooch off the taxpayer's uh, dollar. That's the spirit. After that week in Italy, which was very nice apart from the scorpions in our room, he doesn't extrapolate that, no. um, the girlfriend and I headed to Croatia for a few days on our own. While there, we visited a small island off the coast of Dubrovnik for a day trip. Uh, anyway, it was a very small island. Which uh, one was it? Far. He doesn't say. Uh, and we potted about for a bit before sitting down to a picnic we'd prepared, bracket she'd prepared. The weather was sunny and very hot, so by this point I was wearing only my swim shorts and flip-flops. 
Having drunk a few beverages with lunch, it was time for a wee. We packed up the picnic and headed over to the only toilets on the island. This was a purpose-built toilet block in the middle of a main green slash picnic area. With my girlfriend waiting outside, I ventured in. To my surprise, there were only cubicles and no urinals. I went into the first cubicle and closed the door. Even weirder was there was a urinal in the cubicle, but no toilet. Anyway, I proceeded to take my much-needed piss. After relieving myself, I turned around to exit the cubicle upon where I found there was no handle on the inside of the door. Oh. The door and handle was not like a normal toilet cubicle door. It was like a standard internal door you find in the house, i.e. there's no gap anywhere. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, no handle equals no ability to open the door. That mother was locked shut. There was oh, no, no gap to slide under and no gap above to climb over. Mild panic started to set in. Here I was, trapped in a cubicle, in only shorts and flip-flops, with no phone on an island in Croatia. Hmm. I'm not sure why, but I didn't bang on the door to alert anyone else in the block. I've never been one to draw attention to myself. Instead, oh, I'm the same. That's how we will die. Instead, he, surveyed, he says, I've surveyed my temporary prison to hopefully find an escape route. Turning back round, I noticed a small window up high above the urinal. Thankfully, there was no glass, only a metal mesh surrounded by a worn wooden frame. I proceeded to punch out the mesh. As this window was quite high, I had to launch myself up using the urinal as a makeshift step. I got myself up and perched on the windowsill with my hands, akin to pulling yourself out of a swimming pool. Mm. I was precariously perched. To get myself through the window, I used my foot to give myself one final push off the urinal. As I pushed down on the urinal, it came clean off the wall and smashed all over the floor. Oh, no. With no second chances on the cards, I managed to squeeze through the small window frame headfirst and make the six-foot drop onto the ground outside, picking up cuts, scrapes, and dirt from the wooden windowsill. As I got up and brushed myself down, I was met by the stares of many families and couples who were mid-picnic. I waltzed around to the entrance to find my girlfriend and continued the day. I then had to share a boat ride back to the mainland with many who saw what happened. We enjoyed the rest of the holiday and broke up a few months later. It's a classic tale. What a classic tale. Anyway, I like his little kind of impromptu, all the best, ben. impromptu escape room adventure. What would you do in that situation, Donny? Uh, I'd eat the little yellow cubes that you see in the um, urinal for sustenance. And wait for death to wait comfort death you. To come wait for death's sweet embrace. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm done. My goose is cooked. Fuck yeah. it. I always knew this is how I'd die. <laughs> yeah. I like the idea of you not only being found dead in the toilet cubicle, but just foaming at the mouth with fragrant, <laughs> pine-fresh aroma. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, I'd be the best-smelling stiff in the uh, <laughs> mortuary. Oh, speaking of... Um, it's a bit macabre, but anyway. Mm. Speaking of stiffs, have you seen the Netflix series The Staircase? No. Have you seen Making a Murderer? Yes. That's coming back, season That's two That's coming back, month. season two. Yeah, Staircase. I still, when I see that, it was, who's the main guy who got a... Uh, I can't the remember the kid is now. Brendan Dassey. Yeah, he was, he was a Dassey, Steve wasn't someone. Steve, was it not Stephen Dassey? Was it not a Dassey? Was he not a Dassey as well? He was his uncle, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. But he, um, um, I just can't, whenever I see his face, I just think, oh, he doesn't wear pants. What does English that mean pants. exactly? Well, remember, like, he was accused of a rape or a sexual assault right. um, before this whole thing happened. And uh, his, uh, and one of the revelations was it couldn't have been him because he doesn't wear pants. He oh, just wears okay. trousers, which uh, I think everyone's like, oh, that's horrible. Good detail to that's remember. The worst thing. So the staircase mm. is, um, I would say, similar in theme, mm. but very, very good and worth watching. It's it on true Netflix. crime. True crime. True crime. Fifteen yeah. years in the making, baby. How do these people do that? I mean, I'm in, I work in a creative <laughs> industry, and I'm not dedicating fifteen years of my life to anything. You work in an industry. Uh, <laughs> sometimes <laughs> yeah I was I was listening to a bit of um, uh, Serial That's Back um, I'm not episode, into it episode 2 is better than the first one I think it might heat up I think it's, you hear but that kind me, of like racist fucking judge being a dick I don't want to be a um, a cynic here I mean I will 
they spent it's like this build as like oh a year in the so and so courtroom mm. to me they've blatantly looked for another Adnan Syed case not been able to find it, one yeah. and been like right we're going to just do a year in the courtroom because well, everything's boring series two was very dull still inter- yeah exactly yeah that's why they released that I enjoyed one, I enjoyed S Town for, yeah. for what it was worth yeah um because S Town was being run in the background wasn't it while serial season one was running in case mm. serial season one fell through they were going to go back to to S Town S Town yeah they were then released it later as S Town so actually they... this is really technically series four of serial why didn't they just release serial because uh, maybe they'd screw the pooch with the uh, uh, Bob Bergdahl uh, thing yeah, why don't they make uh, good podcasts like us why they... <laughs> well I mean I reckon it's equivalent work isn't it really similar doing the looking picture um, yeah. soliciting asking for emails just read them out have they done 104 of these no they haven't have no they? they have not no, no. exactly and okay. listen our 104th effort is finished so we're over press your damn button um, I tried. I was going to do an, a serial style um, exit. Oh, let's do that. Um, production is uh, Ira Glass. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Ira Glass has got his finger in everything. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. just so hands on that yeah. guy. And also, we got to end each sentence by talking like this. And that was the end of the episode. Boom, boom, so vocal, vocal fry. This is a call from the Leicester Correctional Facility. Hello, I'm Pete! I've done a murder! Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.